Hello and welcome to the Midweek Exception, episode number 8. This week's episode title, Bill Simmons' Free Agency Watch, since he is now out of a job with ESPN. Joining me this week on the podcast is Grant. Hey everybody. And Chris as well. Hello. I think this is my first one of these. I feel like this is your first time with us. I'm John, by the way. But yeah, I feel like this is your first time joining us for a uh, midweek exception podcast. So yeah. you've listened before, I assume, right? No. I'm Well, actually, yeah. I'm the very special guest from the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Oh, um, okay. What's your yeah, name? Was it? Experience. What happened to you? Uh, Chris What's wrong with already? you? <laughs> I mean... Do we want me just to make up a disease and start off the podcast like that? No, please don't. I was hoping you wouldn't, to be honest. Well, well solid start. Regardless. Then. Right, so I think we might as well dive right into this week's like show, because there's actually a ton of shit for us to cover. So as always, you can listen to us on deafpenradio.com, freecheeseandhotsauce.com, or um, just, you know, guess on iTunes stream and all that fun stuff. So... What topic do you guys want to dive into first? We have some pretty extensive notes, so I'm kind of leaving it up to you guys to pick a topic. I mean, first one up there is the John Wall versus the Wizards medical staff. I think it'd be fun to kind of just go into that series a little bit, too, because on the last podcast, I think, John, both you and I predicted the Wizards were going to take it pretty handedly uh, by the way they were looking and by the way the Hawks kind of came out hot and then just flattened off quickly due to uh, kind of their fatigue. However, since that has happened, John Wall has been diagnosed with four different fractures in his wrist or five different fractures in his wrist and hand, which really puts a damper on the Wizards playoff hopes. Damper is a word. Yeah, it really, yeah, right. It's a, it really messes things up for them pretty badly i mean you're losing arguably the most not even arguably the most important player on that team um so it seems like a lot of what the issue was is the medical staff just completely mistreating the whole thing so he went in for an x-ray correct yeah they it was a post game x-ray right so he went for an x-ray didn't they initially say they diagnosed it as a sprain yeah. initially, and he was like, no, 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 it's something it worse. It was, quote, they gave him, quote, a real, real bad sprain after the x-rays uh, immediately following the game. They, those came back negative, and then Wall was, yeah, immediately just said, absolutely not. I know what I'm feeling right now. There's no way this is just a sprain. Like, this is something more serious. And I think he said something like his hand felt like it was about to explode. There was that much pain going through it and I mean five different fractures that's pretty significant I mean that probably involves some bone chipping too like there's probably basically like bone shrapnel all around his like forearm and his hand just by the way if there's five different locations of a break so I don't blame him for being immediately like just against that and and once we see what happens when they looked at it further and found these fractures it just proved john wall right in his kind of grievance against them saying absolutely not you know that's not just a sprain and now we kind of have to look at the issue of the medical staff being potentially biased here and okaying him to play or trying to okay him to play 
and maybe misreading these x-rays because this seems almost like the wizard's medical staff wanted him back out there and was pressured from management to kind of bring back a playable injury versus you know one where he's gonna have to be out possibly the rest of the playoffs do is there like a definitive like source of what caused that because five fractures in your hand that seems like it's sort of a like something had to have happened like did he fall on it or he says he fell on it but he can't like place the exact injury i think i mean he hit the deck a couple times in this playoffs i mean when you're a point guard driving to the rim you're gonna get knocked down so it seems like uh he just fell on it one too many times or he fell on it one weird way and then it just kind of spiraled out of control but i don't think they have a like they have not been able to pinpoint the play that Man, it happened on. Yeah, that's so rough for the Wizards. Jeez. That's nuts. That's... <laughs> yeah, like, I love that, like, brief silence where we're just all reflecting on, like, how much that really blows for that team. And, like, for a team like the Wizards where they were really, really, like, hitting their stride in the playoffs, you know, sweeping the Raptors, taking game one in Atlanta, like... That's a yeah. pretty huge loss for them. They had to, the right set lose. of matchups to, I mean, potentially make kind of a dark horse run at the finals even. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they're they actually a pretty complete team, especially when you consider, like, Otto Porter Jr., like, suddenly not looking completely, like, lost and stuff during games. Yeah, I mean, Paul like, Pierce has stepped up for them. I mean, they've had a really... I mean, top to bottom, I mean, even their bigs, like we've said, are some of the more dominant big guys in the league just because of their uh, physicality. Yeah, definitely. So do you guys think that losing Wall, because we can assume he's going to be out for the playoffs, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's I would, a tough yeah. injury to... I don't think he can play through that. I mean, we'll see. I bet you he wants to, but he even seems at this point, I mean, there's no way he's coming back this round, and I think that's what matters. Because when you look forward at this series... Uh, playing a much more complete team in the Hawks. Um, I just think that they're going to, the Hawks, you know, it's uh, 1-1 now, so they have to win, you know, three more games. I think that's very, very doable uh, for them. And I think it, that's just what it comes down to is the Hawks are a more complete team. They've got more of their players. They didn't just lose their fearless leader. And I think their team basketball is just going to be able to throw the Wizards off kind of from now on. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It seems like they're kind of doomed. I think, you know, maybe the Wizards can take, like, one more game in this series, but losing John Wall is, you know, he's been shooting pretty well. He's been facilitating as great as he always does. So, I mean, it, that's a huge loss for them. So let's dive into something completely different, a trade rumor. Trade rumor? A trade rumor, yeah. So uh, for some reason... Or another, um, there was a, a rumor that popped up that Blake Griffin was going to get traded from the Clippers to the Trailblazers for LaMarcus Aldridge, which I, can anyone make sense of this? Because I really can't. It's something I just kind of was like browsing on Twitter and I saw and I was just a little bit lost, just uncertain as to why. I actually listened to the little segment from, um, it was a, a radio show that Mark Spears from Yahoo Sports was on. He was kind of the one that seemed to found this rumor. And 
his reasoning behind it, and again, he prefaces everything with this is a pure rumor. There's really, there's like basically no facts. Like I've just heard GMs talking that it's a possibility. So preface all this conversation with that. Um, however, when you do look at some of the facts behind it, Neil Olshay is the uh, Trailblazers general manager, and he was actually behind kind of the rise of the Clippers when they drafted Blake, when they traded for CP3, kind of kept DeAndre around and started their rise to being, you know, the best of the two teams in L.A. So it makes sense that if he sits down with LaMarcus Aldridge and LaMarcus just says, you know what, I do not want to play here anymore, I'm sorry, but it's time for me to move on. Because, and if that goes forward, then Olshay starts looking, you know, who can I get back for LaMarcus? And with the team they have, you assume they want to immediately get a player of value to be competitive because, as you've seen, they've gone to the playoffs uh, two years straight now, and they're coming off. Uh, really, the only reason they're knocked out is because of injuries, too. So mm-hmm. it would make sense for them to kind of swap a guy like Blake for LaMarcus, kind of players of similar value. LaMarcus is a little older. Blake Griffin's a little younger, but he's clearly made the next step. So I think it would almost make sense if they did almost like a swap. There would obviously be other pieces, but the numbers would work out because they're both going to be on uh, max deals. So it's a very interesting rumor. It's something that I won't be shocked if it happens from the Trailblazers' side, but I would be shocked to see the Clippers relinquish Blake Griffin. You know, I was going to say, I feel like if this trade happens, the Trailblazers win this trade easily yeah i think yeah it's it like i after hearing you explain it i get it but i still think that clippers get the really short end of the stick there not that lamarcus aldridge isn't like a great player because of course he is but you're giving up a younger blake griffin top 10 player yeah top 10 player who's proven himself in these playoffs to be just a complete like game changer you know i mean especially with like cp3 out like he's looked so so good i mean in general he looks good but like especially now he's really kind of put that team on his back because like fuck like it's not like austin rivers is putting that team on his back right now you know hey don't so. don't you slander austin he has done a did, good job wait, this playoffs did you did you see that play the other day where you like took the ball up the court and then the, the um commentators were like oh here comes austin rivers and he bites it and falls on the other on the other end of the court <laughs> i did see that but that's good comedic value. I think he knows what he's doing. He knows he's a little bit of a joke, so he does some great plays, but then he gives the fans what they want, and he fucks up a little bit when it's not going to totally matter. He knows what he's doing. One of my favorite things was um, a uh, a thing on the Reddit NBA page where someone was coming up with a conspiracy theory that Doc Rivers was telling CP3 to sit out of games just so he could try to give uh, Austin Rivers some like market value for the offseason so he gets a good contract. Hey, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, especially if, you know, everyone says parents will do anything for their children. And maybe, or maybe not even for the free agent market, maybe he's giving himself, Doc the GM, an excuse to give Austin Rivers more money. Maybe he's giving himself an excuse to get rid of his son and send him to another city. Not have to deal with the shame. Yeah, right. Ah, uh, poor Austin Rivers. No, he's good. He's doing all right. Yeah, I'm I'm proud of him. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, that series is so fascinating, I think, because even in the last game, like, there was a huge free throw uh, differential, but, like, the Clippers were kind of in it until the end. Oh, they were. I was really 
interested. I mean, they shot like what eighty percent in the second quarter. Like it was something absurd, or maybe that was like with three minutes left. But they were shooting a ridiculous percentage when it, they went on their run and kind of overtook the Rockets because the Rockets came out firing, looked awesome, looked like they were gonna run away with it, and then all of a sudden I look up and. In, like, it's like, holy shit, the Clippers are winning by 10. Like, when the hell did that, like, 20-point swing happen? And, again, they were just shooting lights out, and then they couldn't really keep it up throughout the game, and I think this is a game that Houston should have won. It would have been much more disappointing for Houston to lose than for the Clippers to win. So I think that just kind of motivated going going forward uh, for the rest of the game, especially with Houston being on their home, home court. I think it's kind of like the Clippers gave their best shot in the second, and then... Houston just kind of took over and that's how it should be like all these series right now are at one and one and that's exactly how all these series should be no team like this is a round in the playoffs where no team should be anywhere near sweeping like it should not be any there should not be any real lopsided series in the second round especially with the matchups that we have but like even though the Clippers lost that last game their morale must be like relatively high considering the fact that they are still like treading water without Chris Paul in and speaking of that like we have it as a note that he's still sitting out and stuff but worked out at the facility Thursday um you know he's starting to do stuff on the court in practice and it's it's good to see that because I mean like what he's kind of he's questionable for game three I imagine right uh yeah he is still questionable um I doc has basically said it's probably going to be the eye and the feel test which leads me to believe Chris Paul will be playing because all of his comments from sitting out, he basically is just saying, I hate sitting out. This is worse than like losing on the court. I have no control. Like Sitting on the bench is awful. So I would expect to see Chris Paul on the court. However, one of our other notes is about his running mate who is having really, I mean, the his breakout like playoff season. It's he's, Blake Griffin is playing unreal basketball at the moment he's he's uh has his most rebounds he's got five more rebounds or six more rebounds per game than he's averaged in any other playoffs he's got two more points and four more assists like that's an unbelievable stat line he's averaging 25 13 and 8 this playoffs that's incredible that's really good yeah i mean there's that thing that was um an article that popped up. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, there was an article that popped up that was basically saying that he had met up with Tim Duncan during the previous year's off season, and just kind of like talked to him. It was like, hey, so like I need to know like what I need to do to be able to make that next step for this team. And a lot of it was talking about leadership and stuff like that, which I think a lot of that has shown in this playoff series. I mean, he's moving the ball incredibly well. He's getting his assist numbers and all that kind of stuff. So. It's just, it's really refreshing to see a player that personally I always felt previously was just known for his dunks for the like the Lob City stuff, to see him really flushing out into this incredibly complete basketball player, you know? Yeah, on both ends of the floor too. I mean, he was always a decent defender, but it's not like he was anything special one-on-one or anything like that. He was more just kind of large and able to block shots, but... I feel like he's just playing a lot more smart all around. Um, And it helps that he's been able to expand his game a lot. Like, he has a much better jumper than he's ever had. Um, And like you said, the passing plays into it so much, too. And 
you know, you wonder if those numbers aren't inflated. They sort of have to be with CP3 out, I guess. Right. Um, but even still, it's huge for them to... And that's why I can't imagine them trading him. That's the thing. I was kind of shocked when I read that. It just seems like he's really coming into his own right now, and it's kind of scary, actually. I feel like if that trade were to happen, it'd have to be like a package thing where, like, the the um, Trailblazers are also sending over a couple of players that could be beneficial for the bench or something. Yeah, it'd it be something, but it'd be tough to make the numbers work on that. Yeah, it'd be really tough. Like throwing Blake Griffin and Austin Rivers. Austin. Austin. Yeah, I the, found a home throw, for you. Yeah, there you go. You're going Behind over to Portland. Point guard. I I was uh, reading about this. I just imagine Blake Griffin like secretly being like, man. Portland's really tempting. All the craft beer, the uh, like little craft shops and stuff like that. Maybe that's really his calling. Maybe he just wants to make like. I feel like he stuff loves like LA. Yeah, no, he he totally does. But uh, just imagine if he really wanted that complete like, change in lifestyle. But no, I think Blake really loves LA, and I think it'd be it'd be tough sell for him to be like cool with going to portland which i mean admittedly if he went to portland like there's a pretty good roster that'd be surrounding him there as well but it's a pretty good roster in la i just don't know why the clippers would go for that yeah i mean yeah i don't know it, it would be a stupid trade but i guess we're kind of beating a dead horse with all that at this point yeah my bad uh no don't worry about it um so mike conley came back for the uh for the Grizzlies for game two, um wearing one of those like protective face mask things that players such as Russell Westbrook, Rip Hamilton notably would uh don in games. So Tom. Grizzlies won the game. They held the Warriors to ninety points, which I thought was pretty surprising considering the fact that the Warriors average hundred and seven points per game in the playoffs. So that's pretty huge and shows how great that team is defensively. Um, what was the Tony Allen quote that he was yelling during the game? Was it a was it first team all defense? Uh, yeah, first team all defense. Um, which he definitely showed that off quite well. Um, yeah, just that team like played some incredible lockdown defense. But getting Mike Conley back was so huge uh, defending Steph Curry. So Curry only managed to shoot 18% from three and got 19 points in the game. Um, so I think just, you know, kind of having Conley chasing him around out there was really, really crucial to their success Ding him up, which, you know, it's kind of a shame for Curry because he had just received the MVP award. So it kind of sucks for him to have a uh, an uncharacteristically poor performance from him in that game. He's been soft the whole time. Yeah, right. Harden should have gotten it. Um, but yeah, just what did you guys think of Conley's performance for that game? Um, I think for coming off of an injury like that and playing so efficiently, that's um, I mean that's huge for your team bringing back a point guard onto a team, and especially you look at their bench. It's not like they have a bunch of great playmakers on that team, so even though his assist numbers weren't exactly there, I think just having his presence there really opened things up for everyone else, um, especially defensively too. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, especially the uh, defensive aspect of it. I know in our last episode we talked about how 
if Conley would not be back for the series, we we were robbed of kind of a great matchup, again, especially against the Warriors, kind of the one of the teams that you think could really stand up, especially in the backcourt, and shut down Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, and that is uh, Conley and Tony Allen. And, I mean, I think we saw that in Game 2, with especially Conley being able to step up, play a really, really good defense. And, you know, he just he brings a whole new element to their offense. He's a dynamic player where he, he can drive and kick, he can pull up from mid-range, and he's just a crafty player, and he's great on defense. He's an all-around player, and he really he is kind of the thing that keeps them going if their bigs are getting a, l- a little bit shut down. And I think we can kind of see that. I mean, Draymond on Zebo, Bogut on Gasol, that's a pretty that's a pretty favorable defensive matchup for the Warriors there. So this is really helpful to put Conley back on the floor to keep that other aspect for if he can get by Steph and you need to help out if uh, Conley can penetrate the lane. So I think it's just huge for the Grizzlies going forward, and I'm really, really excited for the potential that this series is kind of holding right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like considering that I feel like we've been so negative with the playoffs lately with all the injuries that have happened that have taken out some really, really great players with like CP3, John Wall. So it's great to see Conley back on the court and know that this series, I think in theory, could get to seven games maybe, which I wouldn't have said that a while ago. But I feel like just seeing how well they played with Conley on the court in this last game, maybe I'm just buying into the hype too much, but like, that was a really fun game to watch. And I think the Grizzlies look really good, but it's just kind of a question of can their defense like make up for like, the, not that they have like, a terrible offense or anything like that, but like if their defense is enough to get them to that next uh, round of the playoffs, which I don't know, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that's why they play the games, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um... yeah, that's true. Honestly, you said this one might go to seven games. I feel like all the series that are left could go to seven at this point. Yeah, I, I'm i trying to think. I mean, if anything, Hawks and Wizards maybe. Yeah, would it be, depends on how well they respond without Wall. Yeah, um, Bulls and Cavs are... It, it's a fascinating, bizarre, incredible, and terrifying beast, I think, to watch. To be honest, yeah, I mean... In- Oh, sorry, Chris, but I was going to say quickly, that series, I hope it almost continues the way it's going because if it does and it just keeps going back and forth with one team dominate, then the next team answers back. That's still fun basketball to watch because you see what goes on in between games. Um, so it would be fun if, and then game seven, it's a wash. I think it would be fun if that series does go seven. Obviously, we all know we want the Bulls to take it quicker than that, but that could be a really, really entertaining Game 7 on Cleveland's home court with kind of LeBron fighting even more for his legacy and then the Bulls trying to take down LeBron on his home court in Cleveland where Cleveland hates the Bulls. So that could be a really entertaining Game 7. Definitely. I mean, also you have Jimmy Butler getting his Most Improved Player Award, which will be given out during the game today, actually, Friday, um, prior to it. So... Well, it'll be more like a ceremony and stuff like that. They already gave him the award the other day. But, um, yeah, that matchup is turning into something really incredible, and you can't, like, read anything about it without noticing how terrible Joakim Noah has been throughout this series. Um, just missing free throws, not getting those kind of easy putbacks that he usually can make, missing layups. Uh, this His rebounding has been kind of suspect, I think. So we kind of throw around like well what can this team 
do to cure their issue with rebounding and boxing out and preventing offensive rebounds. Because Tristan Thompson has been like lighting this team up on the offensive glass, which is, I think, going to the series, everyone expected that because of what has happened in the regular season where he was kind of consistently doing the same thing. So at the risk of us diving way too deep into Bulls talk, do you think that they should be starting someone over Joakim Noah at this point in the game? And like, with that being said, like, like, well, I guess first off who, which I think the obvious answer would be Taj Gibson. Then second, like, yeah, here, I guess I'll just like throw that out there and we can kind of chew at it and figure out what's going on. I don't know that taking Noah, I mean, there's no question at this point that Noah's been off. Um, it seems to me that he might even be injured or something just because the way he's moving, the way he's, it just doesn't match with how he's been historically at all. Um, but I don't know that taking him out of the starting lineup necessarily helps our team, just at least for game three. Um, just because it's, I mean, off the bench, you assume you need someone in the post to score. Um, if they can't feed it into Taj coming off the bench, I don't really know that Nico can be that guy in the post just because of, I mean, you think about who will be matched up with. He'd have to be coming out. If we need something in the post, it might get to the point where Pau and Taj are just gassed if we're sitting Joakim the entire game. But, yeah. Chris, can I? Okay, I know you and I went at it for a long time yesterday about this. I am very strongly in favor of Taj being in the starting lineup. However, what I'm willing to concede now is to kind of feed everybody's ego and make sure Joakim doesn't get pulled too out of his element through by a full-on benching. Why don't they just pull Joakim, like, at minute eight in the first quarter? Like, just really start cutting down his minutes because he is getting babied by Tristan Thompson out there. Tristan Thompson is throwing him around, pretty much just having his way on the boards with Joakim. And it just, it just doesn't look good. And then I look at when Taj comes out there, and, I mean, he's still matched up against Tristan Thompson at times. And Taj is doing to Tristan Thompson what Tristan Thompson is doing to Joakim Noah. And I just look at that, and it just seems like the matchup of Taj Gibson on Tristan Thompson looks so much more favorable to the Bulls because Taj has a lot more energy, a lot more strength. And just honestly, I think a lot of it comes down to kind of lower body strength at the moment. He's able to put some pressure on his knees and really body into Tristan Thompson and box out. And you look at Joakim Noah, and he just isn't that force on the board. He's not that ball of energy that he used to be, and it's really hurting this team. Like, he is averaging five points a game in the playoffs. He, that's half of what his career averages. Granted, he's getting 10 rebounds. He's still averaging four assists, but it, it just does not look right out there. And on offense, like those, the, especially the assist numbers, I don't think are even that fair because when he touches the ball on offense, he's automatically giving up a double team to someone else on the Bulls' offense because nobody is playing Joakim anywhere further than five feet from the basket. If you watch the people defending Joakim Noah, they're sagging off entirely, and the only assists are the occasional like lucky cut from Dunleavy or Jimmy on the baseline, and Joakim can still pass it to them. But usually that's between like two guys, one being his guy sagging off and just crowding the lane. And I just think it really takes a lot away from this Bulls team, and they need to limit Joakim's minutes and like so, like supplant them with Taj of Tristan Thompson's out there. And when Tristan Thompson goes to the bench, Nikola Mirotic needs to be in that game. If it's Nikola Mirotic guarding Mike Miller, that is an extremely favorable matchup to the Bulls, and they need to utilize it, whether Nico is 
uh, like kind of backing him down low or just shooting over them because he's got about four inches, maybe five inches on Mike Miller. And he is just as fast, probably faster and quicker than Mike Miller at this stage. And I just really think Tibbs needs to fix his rotations. Sorry, that got a little long-winded. I think, yeah, you went what, about three minutes there. <laughs> That's fine, though. You, you got to no, you you do no, what you got to do. His minutes definitely do need to change, though. I mean, I don't know that pulling him out of the starting lineup or benching him entirely is the right choice just for the sake of continuity and all that. I was going to say for, like, chemistry, I think pulling Joe from that starting lineup, like, I think Joe would not have an issue with it because he seems like he is the kind of player who would be very willing to say, like, I realize I'm not producing at the level I should be. But same token, like, first off, knowing Thibodeau, he's not going to do it. Like, he's just not messing around with rotations, I c- which, you know, like, it. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just don't see him adjusting the lineups. I can see the rotations changing because maybe it is an energy thing. Maybe he's just slower because of an injury, and maybe resting a bit more will make it easier on him. But I don't know. It just the way the balance of the lineups goes without him in there, too, it affects it, too. Just because not having the size off the bench is such a big thing. Definitely. I, th- I think we'll see if there's going to be a bigger change. I think it'll come after game three, depending on how Joakim plays at home. Yeah, definitely. And I think like one of the things that people need to keep in mind, I think it's mostly Bulls fans who are really reacting harshly to the last game, is no. the series is one-to-one. Yeah, exactly. The Bulls, they did their job. Everyone's acting like it's like a three-to-one like series lead for the Cavs right now, and it's like, well, no, there's still plenty of basketball yeah. to be played. Um, they have home court advantage, and then you'll have the guy who says, "No, they don't. No, it doesn't exist." Yeah, the UC is too quiet and all that. Play all fun seven stuff. on the road. You know, um, yeah. Then the other thing you have to kind of factor in was like what seemed to go so terribly wrong for the Bulls, among many things. I guess, but the, the the key thing was just having a really bad first quarter, um, which there's that number floating around where from the second quarter to the end of the game, they led 70 to 68, or was it 71 to 68? I can't remember, but either way, they basically led throughout the rest of the game, so I mean, if they can come out like strong in that first quarter, I think, you know, it's going to be a bit more interesting of a series than people are giving it credit to being i guess i don't know it's tough though because especially when you have like lebron just being like just going as hard as he did in that last game i mean it becomes a a huge roadblock and unfortunately i wouldn't be surprised if it was a bit too much for this bulls team to overcome especially if there's like some weird shake up in the lineups and all that fun stuff you know i like to believe in jimmy butler though he seems yeah. like a hero he can do it yeah He'll, he'll do something crazy. He'll have some game where he'll go off for, like, 35 points or something. And 60. 60. No. Okay, let's be 80, realistic. 82. It's not going to be 60. No, it's going to be 40. 50. He's, he's going to have, like, a 40, 10, and 7 game in, like, game 6. You watch. On, on the home court, when the Bulls are pressed trying to force a game 7, Jimmy Butler is going to have the best game of his career, and LeBron's going to have less than 20 points. I guarantee it right now. All right. Well... I'll have to go back and listen to this episode again. and It'll uh, signal the beginning of the end of LeBron. Oh I'll have to go back and make a note <laughs> of the prediction. LeBron's going to start shri- shrinking, no. and then Jimmy Butler's going to like grow a couple inches randomly, and then you know, in 30 years when, the do- when there's a documentary, we're going to find out that Jimmy Butler stole some of LeBron's mojo 
and and also some of his height and strength and just basically turned into LeBron after this series. Kind of like yeah, Space no. Jam, only Jimmy's not actually a monster. <laughs> yeah. I, wasn't there like a rumor that they were going to make another Space Jam movie like a couple years ago? I think it happens every April Fool's Day. Yeah. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe one day. We got that one Durant movie. The I can't remember what it's called. Thunderstruck? It the one where he, yeah, did you see it? Because I'm... My uh, roommate watched it. <laughs> I did not have the heart to actually watch it with him, and I don't think he finished it. He said it was possibly the worst thing in the world, and it just felt like Kevin Durant couldn't even act because he just, like, walked around with, like, a straight face the entire movie and, like, didn't even try to act in it. Looked like he didn't want to be there, apparently. It doesn't seem like a movie you really want to be there for, to be balling. Yeah, he's finding a ball on that with some some dumb kid. That's mean. I should be. I should give the kid more credit for his acting ability. Just like ESPN should have given more credit to Bill Simmons and what he was doing for that network. Ooh, so, episode title, segue. right? So, uh, episode title, obviously, Bill Simmons free agency, um, watch. I think that's what he called it, right? So, Bill Simmons and. ESPN were not able to come to a contract agreement or they just simply let him go. Really not that much is known about the whole thing. Um, obviously, it's a pretty huge loss for them considering the fact that he has a f- massive following, whether it's people watching him on TV or hearing his podcast or having read his one book that he wrote, the book of basketball. Um, so... I can't believe we're having this conversation, but where do you guys see Bill Simmons going from here? Does he take the Sheridan route and kind of just run his own website? Midweek or exception. He's gonna yeah, Bill Simmons, the midweek exception confirmed. There is always a spot on our our roster for him. Yeah, I mean we're not gonna say no if he wants to. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so, do you guys have any theories as to where he would go? I know. Some people I know said he could go to Deadspin. I think that that's realistic. There was, uh, when he was suspended for three weeks uh, back in the fall, there was like a whole Deadspin article saying, Bill Simmons, come work for Deadspin. We'll let you do like whatever the fuck you want. So I think in that sense, it looks good. And that's uh, an established website. It's got uh, resources to, you know, help Bill out. But I think, honestly, the most realistic uh, point for me is I saw possibly working for Turner Sports and working a lot more on TNT and maybe even starting, like, having TNT fund essentially Grantland only it'll be Bill Land or something like that. Um, I can see something like that happening just because of kind of the uh, how the NBA is ingrained on TNT, things like that, and kind of almost joining the uh, inside the NBA cast, not actually on it, but just kind of as an extension of it too, being able to plug it in that sense. So I think that is a realistic landing spot. What I'm more concerned about is, though, the future of Grantland because from what I have seen so far, it's kind of like they're getting rid of Bill because he hired all these great mini-Bills to work for him on Grantland, and they're just going to basically use all them to keep Grantland going just without Bill Simmons now, uh, which kind of sucks to me. I wish that somehow Bill could start poaching guys but i realize there's a you know i'm sure a non-compete agreement things like that so it's just going to be really interesting to see where grantland goes from here and then how bill goes about kind of 
snatching back his old guys, maybe like a Zach Lowe or something when his contract is up. All that's going to be really interesting in the next couple of years when everyone's contract starts getting up. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I for, for a minute I thought maybe Yahoo was an option. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. Because him and, uh, him and Woj can run a, a sick two-man game with all sorts of rumors and fun stuff coming out of there. One of them is good at writing articles. One of them is good at trade rumors and con- confirming trades and all that fun stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I don't really know if that would happen. Either way, though, I feel like eventually he'll kind of get like low and the whole gang to follow with him. I wonder if Jalen goes with too, though. You know. Yeah, like that, well, that's know. what I'm saying. Like all these ESPN guys that are kind of loyal, Simonites, if you will. Uh, <laughs> Simonites. Like w- what's going to happen with them? Because I mean, they're most of them. I think are part of ESPN because Bill hired them on Grantland, so it was kind of a a secondary relationship because Grantland is a form of ESPN, so that's why they were part of ESPN. And I don't know how many people from Grantland actually like and appreciate ESPN. I mean, I know Zach Lowe does not kind of really mince words. He always kind of alludes to how ESPN isn't that great, things like that. And there's little jabs, if you kind of look at the Grantland material, that do not kind of hype up ESPN that much and it makes me wonder if they're going to be okay moving forward as kind of a more direct extension of ESPN rather than kind of Bill Simmons website that is sponsored by ESPN because that's what Grantland really was it was Bill Simmons website that ESPN gave him the funding for and now ESPN got pissed because it didn't make enough money and so they wanted to pay Bill Simmons less money it looks like and Bill was kind of like fuck that what do you mean I make you guys millions and millions of dollars, give me my fair pay, and they couldn't agree to it, and it sounds like the president of ESPN just said, all right, that's it, fuck this, I'm done. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's a bummer, really. Yeah, fuck Disney. Kind of. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot of that is probably why Simmons consistently got suspended is because they're, you know, what what he was saying was not, you know, up to the Disney code. Yeah, no, and there was, like, obviously a lot of stuff kind of going on in the, um... Was it during the offseason? Yeah, it was during the offseason when he got, like, suspended and all that stuff because of his comments about Roger Goodell, and then he has, like, mini-beef with the Mike and Mike crew or whatever where he was... Well, because they kind of threw shade on him, though, initially, like, saying that he's made something up, and then Bill Simmons tweeted, like, something back at them. I don't know. It's one of those things I should go back and read again, then... Next time on the podcast, we'll dive into it again. Because it was really funny, whatever it was. But ultimately, yeah, no, actually it was. It was like one of those things that, like, it didn't make a hell of a lot of sense. But regardless, it was something of note that could have led to Disney's perception of Simmons being tainted a little bit. So, yeah, on that on that uh, cliffhanger note, I guess, I'll do it for this week's episode. A twist ending. A twist ending, yeah, and... Got to come back next time for all the exciting, uh, thrilling details, conclusions, tie up all the loose ends, all that fun stuff. So you can find us on Twitter at MWException. Um, subscribe to us on iTunes, Pocket Casts. Also leave us a review, all that fun stuff. Uh, otherwise, is there anything else that you guys want to say? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe uh, we can end with a nice Billy the Kid quote. 
I wasn't the leader of any gang. I was for Billy all the time. And that's Bill Simmons' attitude, because he's saying, fuck it, I'm out of this gang. I'm doing my own thing. Beautiful. I think that's how we have to end it. It's moving.